It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Well, Russia has been doing some saber rattling as the run-up to Finland and Sweden formally applying for NATO membership came up. Uh, Today, Russia announced that they'll be cutting off some natural gas to the neighbor. Uh, So what can we really expect from Russia uh, as that NATO membership expands? What does that look like? To help us break that all down and give us some perspective on that, really pleased to have uh, back on the show again today, David Salvo. He's the deputy director of the Alliance for Securing Democracy and a senior fellow at the German Marshall Fund of the United States. Before that, he was a foreign service officer at the State Department, serving as the Deputy Secretary of State's policy advisor for Europe, Eurasia, and international security issues. David, thanks for coming back on the show. It's great to be with you, Boyd. Uh, so uh, give us the breakdown a little bit. Uh, obviously, we had the uh, the big announcements yesterday, uh, the meetings at the White House before uh, President Biden hopped on a plane to head to uh, South Korea and to Japan uh, and I thought actually some uh, some pretty impressive and, and powerful speeches from President Biden and also from the uh, president and the prime minister uh, from Finland and Sweden. Definitely. I mean, I think this is probably a long time coming, even though Sweden and Finland have sort of long prioritized and, and valued their neutrality. They've really been part of the transatlantic community and worked very closely with NATO allies militarily for really for years now. So I think it's this is sort of the culmination of a relationship that's uh, a long time coming. And I think you saw that both in the president's remarks and in the, the Finnish and Swedish leaders' remarks as well. Yeah, and, and it seems, too, that this is a, uh, a fairly, uh, as you said, there, there's been a lot going on anyway. Uh, these are two countries that, that actually bring a lot to the table. This is not uh, riding on uh, the coattails of American spending on defense. Uh, this really, uh, These really are valued partners and, and trusted allies. Absolutely. These are going to be two very valuable additions to the NATO alliance. They are excellent militarily. They are completely interoperable with NATO forces already. So there's not going to be uh, a lot to get them sort of folded into uh, the military operations of the alliance. They're both nations that have sort of total defense uh, capabilities where they really prioritize um, building the sort of societal resilience to threats like Russia. So they really do bring a lot uh, of their own experience just based on their proximity to to Russia um, and and militarily they're they're just quite capable forces already. So I think they're going to be an excellent, excellent additions to to NATO. Yeah. And obviously that uh, 800 mile border with Russia uh, is clearly something that uh, everyone is taking a a look at there. And as and speaking of Russia, uh, what do you expect uh, next coming out of the Kremlin? Uh, they kind of rattled the sabers a little bit. Now they're looking at the natural gas, uh, turning that spigot off. Uh, what do you expect in the days ahead? Well, that's kind of what I expect. I, I mean, look, the Russian military is bogged down in a war that it has no business being in and is getting, you know, frankly, it's uh, behind handed to him by, by uh, a much less capable force. So it's hard to imagine Russian taking military steps along the Russo-Finnish border, which, as you said, is about 800 miles long. 
right now. I mean, how can they? They're, they're just completely bogged down in Ukraine. But what they are going to do is use other sort of asymmetric tools like, you know, energy, as you mentioned. They're going to turn the gas spigot off. They're going to, um, to, you know, try to launch information operations that target Finnish and Swedish citizens, trying to sort of make them more skeptical about the prospects of joining NATO and how it'll be bad for them as citizens of their country. So I think we should expect more of that, but probably not much militarily, at least in the near term. Longer term, perhaps, but not not in the near term. Yeah, you had a great piece uh, on the, the website there for the Alliance for Securing Democracy. And uh, you talked about some of those uh, things in terms of cyber and misinformation, disinformation campaigns. Uh, share with our, our listeners a little bit of that in terms of what, what else Russia might do in, in that space. Yeah, well, these are tools that Russia has used in countries all over the Euro-Atlantic community uh, for decades now, um, including our own. But in Finland and Sweden, what they've done is they've tried to sow, um, you know, skepticism and doubts about uh, the prospects of Sweden and Finland joining NATO and how it would be bad for Swedes and Finns if they did so uh, back in 2015 and 2016 when polling in both countries was starting to trend more positively towards NATO accession. Um, the Russian government um, launched information operations in both countries, targeting journalists and key media organizations, um, trying essentially to to create that doubt about whether this would be good for both countries. And they also launched cyber operations targeting uh, media conglomerates, particularly in Finland. And, you know, these tools are no surprise to us. We saw them use cyber uh, uh tools against against the U.S. government. Um, so this is uh, no surprise, but the Swedes and Finns have experience dealing with these types of threats from Russia because they've been dealing with them for quite some time. Yeah, David, as you've been uh, following this and, and watching closely how Europe plays out and what that looks like, uh, we, we've heard a few rumblings that uh, that even Switzerland is, is reconsidering their total neutrality space. Uh, what else are you hearing in terms of uh, things happening in Europe? And has this uh, invasion into Ukraine from Russia, has that just completely reset uh, the thinking in terms of of Europe? You know, I think in some respects it has. And I think the most obvious example of that is, is of course, Finland and Sweden um, looking to join NATO. And in that sense, the Russian gambit in Ukraine really backfired because they thought this would sort of uh, create a new status quo in Europe that would be more advantageous to Moscow. Um, so in that respect, it's, you know, I, I think you have a lot of solidarity in Europe uh, pushing back against Russian aggression. But you also hear some rumblings about, for example, um, the inevitability of sanctions relief um, and how some countries in Europe, in particular, uh, in, in particular Hungary here, you know, might be reluctant to expand the sanctions regime against more targets in Russia. And, you know, I cautioned against this um, when the war was starting that, you know, you might see some backsliding eventually um, in terms of this European unity pushing back against Russian aggression, because you do have a couple of countries, notably Hungary, uh, maybe a couple others who, you know, are more inclined to accept the sort of autocratic Putin vision of, of the world and are probably going to be more reluctant to, you know, throw the hammer down on on more Russian targets. Yeah, that uh, economics uh, always plays in, and uh, we saw that in uh, a number of countries. Obviously, uh, during election season, uh, in the, in those countries, the the pressure definitely increases. Uh, before I let you go, David, uh, what else are are you watching? Uh, again, from your unique experience and having watched that area of the world for some time, what is it that we're not talking about 
uh, as it relates to NATO and as it relates to, to Europe and really their role? Will will the U.S. have to continue to be kind of front and center? Uh, is there, as you said, that galvanizing? Uh, will that allow them to kind of lead and let the U.S. Uh, lead maybe from the middle or the back? Uh, how do you see that playing out? Well, I think I think if you ask most Europeans, they probably still want to see the U.S. leading out in front. Um, NATO is still very much a U.S.-dominated alliance, and there's very little to indicate that will change. But you have had conversations over the last few years about sort of a new European security and defense force that would sort of complement NATO in a way. We haven't heard too much about that recently, as sort of all eyes and ears have been on uh, the prospects of NATO accession and, of course, against pushing back, uh, pushing back against Russia and Ukraine. But, you know, that's what's sort of in the back of my head. What's going to come of this sort of complementary Europe centric uh, security force, for lack of a better term, that, you know, the United States will probably not have a formal relationship with. And what does that mean for NATO? That's been on the back burner lately, but I'm interested to see down the road whether that conversation picks up. But in terms of NATO, I think, you know, it's never been stronger. This is right now in some sort of odd way. Um, And I think American leadership is always going to be highly prioritized by our European allies. I don't see that changing in the near term or the midterm, frankly. Yeah. Fabulous insight as always. David Sallows, the deputy director of the Alliance for Securing Democracy and a senior fellow at the German Marshall Fund of the United States. Uh, David, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Boyd. Uh, Great insight there uh, from David as we try to put all of those things in perspective as it relates to Sweden and Finland and their their formal application to become members of NATO. The saber rattling coming out of the Kremlin and Vladimir Putin. And then, of course, the important U.S. role In the midst of all of that, as we try to deal with uh, what continues to be a tragedy in Ukraine, Uh, much more to come on all of that. We're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. It's Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Next, we're going to be joined by Floyd Morey and talk about a celebration that's happening right here in Salt Lake City tonight to honor all. Stay with us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.